I love canceled classes. I love In-N-Out Burger. I love the greatest dorm on the campus of the Master's College. I forget its name. <laughs> when you hear that term love, you're wondering, what are people saying? Today, love is often a feeling that you're going to feel when you're going to get a feeling that you've never felt before. A frustrated freshman wrote his gal, love is two consonants, L and V, two vowels, O and E, two fools, you and me. <laughs> 37 years of pastoral ministry, no one has ever asked me about true love. We all have an opinion, an idea, an experience about love. We secretly imagine ourselves as the expert in love. When I get married, she will be my favorite Disney princess. When I get married, I will love my man. But you got to realize that in our day, love has almost grown out of fashion. In fact, love is no longer used in the song titles of the most popular songs. The last time that love was actually used in the most popular songs in the titles of those songs was 1980. In the 1990s, one of the most popular words in the top five words of song titles was fang. In the 2000s, one of the most popular words in the top five words of song titles was breathe. And now, Billboard Magazines writes that in our decade thus far, one of the top five words in song titles today is the word die. No love there. Your reaction to a sermon on love will also reveal a lot about you. When you hear the word love, what comes to mind? You know, well, it's, it's not for me. Someday I'm trying. Where is she? Where is he? I've got to graduate, play my sport, hang out with my bros. Yet God's word dogmatically declares you and I are to know love and to show love. Not merely find that one special soon-to-be spouse, but to love God, to love your brothers and sisters, even to love the stranger. Love is not for the weak, emotional, and effeminate. Every genuine Christian in this room is to be known for love. Love is a quality and a lifestyle others are to be able to see in you. People should say, hey, Fred, he's a really fun guy, and he really loves God. Cindy Lou Who, she, she's really artsy, but wow, she loves her dormies. If the God of love is in you, then you will love. And today, we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit is love. If you have the spirit, you will grow more loving. So what is love? What is God's love? Authentic love, true love, biblical love, what is it? Do you wanna know if that guy or gal really loves you? How can you determine if you're loving God and loving others? Well, the Bible says this in your outline, hopefully you can track with me as I read these scriptures to you, look at them in that little microfiche at the top of your notes. John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life 
for his friends. First Peter 4, 8, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. First John 3, 17, whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Giving, sacrificing, serving, forgiving, overlooking, sharing what you have leads me to my favorite definition of love, of biblical definition, and that would be in your outline, love is Christ's character manifested in compassionate sacrifice and selfless service for the benefit of another. Love is Christ giving himself away to others through you. This is radical stuff, it's best to get this down, so number one in your outline, every genuine Christian must love biblically must love biblically. First Corinthians 13, Paul's correcting the Corinthians on their usage of spiritual gifts. The reason why we have the love chapter in 12, 13, and 14 right there in the middle is because they were misusing spiritual gifts. And he said they have to be expressions of love. Selfless actions of service for others to build them up to be like Christ. And even if they're able to do amazing supernatural feats, if those actions are without love, then he says at 1 Corinthians 13, 1, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Noisy gong and clanging cymbal describe insufferable noise. It's what your roommate does at 2 a.m. Without love, you are just a loud, obnoxious noise. And then Paul concludes chapter 13, asserting love must be a Christian's priority in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, but now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these, of the three great Christian qualities listed here, only one is eternal, only one is like Christ, our Savior, God is love, therefore we must love. Matthew 22, every believer must love God and others because love is the first and second commandment. It is the greatest commandment. In John 13, 34, love is what you and I are to be known for. As people think about you, they should think love. They're a loving person. Everything a Christian does should be done in love. John 13, 34, would you read this out loud with me from your outline? Let's read it together, ready? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Your right theology is never an excuse not to love. Your religious works are not an alternative for love. Your sports, your degree, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your job, your music, your ministry, is no replacement for love. Nothing substitute for love. As Christ loved you, you love. True agape love is the supreme mark of discipleship. It is the evidence that you belong to Christ. Romans 13, eight, love is so crucial for you to live out that Paul actually says you owe it to your God to love, to your friends teammates, your dormies, to love them. We owe them a debt of love. Read aloud with me from your outline so we can read it together. 
Here we go, Romans 13, 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Owe nothing to anyone except to love them. The command and encouragement for you to love your parents, your friends, your strangers. And the New Testament is almost endless. Look at those. That you're taught by God to love one another, pursue love, put on love, increase and abound in love, be sincere in love, be unified in love, fervent in love, stimulate one another to love. Are you getting it? You are to be indebted to love. You're to be known to love. You're commanded to love. You're saved to love. But there's a problem. There's a big problem. Number two in your outline, no genuine Christian can truly love in their own strength. In their own strength. Turn to Galatians, if you would, chapter two. We're getting close to where we're supposed to be. Galatians chapter two. And you'll find, last night, Dr. MacArthur opened up Galatians five and walking in the spirit. The path of freedom for the Christian is to live in the spirit, not to live in the flesh. It is walking in the Spirit which produces the fruit of the Spirit which then results in love. But there are two great conditions exist for walking in the Spirit. Dr. MacArthur set the context for us in the book of Galatians, but they are hinted at here in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Condition number one, do you see it there? I have been crucified with Christ. You and I, in order to love, must be a justified sinner, a regenerate believer. I've died with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. I am made alive in Christ. In order to love agape, I, I must be genuinely saved. I cannot be a make-believer. I have to be a real believer. Born again with a new heart, new desires, new drives, new life. I think of it thus in terms of the counseling that I often find myself in, the most serious marriage counseling uh, almost always takes place between two professing Christians, and more often than not, one or both are not genuinely saved. They can't enjoy Christ-like love. They're not empowered to love. They don't know true Christ-empowered love. And it devastates their relationship. What messes up many Christian dorms and teams and families and friendships answers is non-Christians pretending to be Christians. No relationship will ever be perfect in this life, but often the reason why Christian relationships struggle and fail is simply because the relationships are not genuinely Christian. That's one of the reasons it's always best in any guy-girl relationship to let it develop biblically. Looking for proven fruit and ministry, looking for discipleship, a heart of service, faithfulness, and an unshakable commitment to Jesus Christ and his word. To love like God, you must intimately know the God of love. Student, are you genuinely born again? Write these three words down, want to, willing, and worship. Want to, willing, and worship. A regenerate heart, though there's the struggle of Romans 7, and I don't always do what I want to do, but there is in the heart of a genuine born-again Christian a desire, a want to obey Christ. If you're here and there's never a desire for you to follow Christ, obey Christ, 
It could be an indicator that you are not born again. Romans 6.17, it tells us that we became obedient from the heart. We have a heart that wants to, even when we fail to. Willing, I take this from Luke 14, 26, 27, and, 20, and 33, willing to do anything Christ asks. Hate my parents, hate my kids, hate my own life, die for Christ, give up all my own possessions. I am willing to do anything for Jesus Christ. And a true born-again heart is a heart that says, I, I, even though I fail often and never measure up, I am willing to do what Christ wants me to do. And if that is not your heart, it may be the strongest indicator that you are not his child. And then ultimately worship. Worship. That you offer your entire life to Christ in worship. Romans 12, I present my body a living sacrifice. It is my reasonable worship. In the light of all that God has done for me, that I would just be all in. I want to be the person who Christ is my life. Again, we don't live this perfectly, but it is a heart's desire. Has the Lord awakened your heart so you have turned from your sin and repentance and you're depending on Christ alone in faith? You, you cannot truly love like Christ unless you are born again. And if you are born again, you will love because if you don't love, 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, you don't know God. Condition one, you must be saved. Condition two, from Galatians 2.20, do you see it there? Look at it. It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ lives in me. Only Christ can live the Christian life. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Only God can glorify God. God glorifies God through you. Only the Spirit can empower you to love like God and love others. My mentor, your president, writes this, one of my favorite current MacArthur quotes, says this in your notes, the Christian life is not so much a believer living for Christ as it is living Christ living through the believer. The Christian life is not so much a believer living for Christ as it is Christ living through the believer. In fact, if you ever hope to love others according to the scriptures, if you ever hope to have true friendships marked and guided by the word of God, if you ever desire to have a spouse and a marriage saturated with God's love, then it will have to be the spirit of God living through you by the word of God. Look at the phrase at the end of Galatians 2.20, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by what? Faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Out of a heart of gratitude for all that Christ has done for you, you live this life by faith, independent obedience. You completely rely on Christ in order to love like Christ. Now if you would turn to Galatians chapter five, verse 16, and point number three in your outline, all genuine Christians will grow in their love. If you're beat up and you're battling with sin, if you find yourself trying to do what's right but constantly struggling, if you're desiring to love others like Christ, then try the supernatural alternative, which Dr. MacArthur opened up last night, to walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And last night we heard that walk is present tense command. It implies a step-by-step -step process. By the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, meaning by the power, by the guiding, by the leading, by the, by the direction of the Spirit of God. And the verb walk has to do with lifestyle. Here's the pathway to becoming a godly man or a godly woman. Walk. It's God commanding a lifestyle of living in the Spirit. This kind of lifestyle will enable you to overcome the lust of the flesh. And so this is this growing walk by the Spirit, which will enable you to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, which then result in a growth in love. You say, Chris, how can I develop a lifestyle of walking in the Spirit? How can I grow in godliness and love? I am so glad you asked that question. So turn over, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. In order to develop a walk in the Spirit, I believe you must first, moment by moment, day by day, seek to be filled with the Spirit. And after addressing our position in Christ, he talks about our practice. And chapter 4 in Ephesians describes the discussion of our walk in Christ, our lifestyle. He describes our lifestyle as a worthy walk, a unique walk, a loving walk, a walk in the light, and finally the wise walk. And part of that wise walk, that wise lifestyle, is being filled with the Spirit. So right after Paul instructs the first century situation and as he is about to instruct the first century marriage and family just before he calls wives to submit and commands husbands to love and fathers to train and slaves to obey Paul says in Ephesians 5:18 look at it and do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation but be what filled with the spirit now this is going to sound geeky and I'm sorry this is for you bible majors I'm being very sincere I just read my favorite verb in the New Testament. I know, I have a favorite verb. It's not the lexical meaning of filled, it's the syntax of filled. Whenever I struggle living for Christ, whenever, whenever I fail to love, whenever my life seems more about me than it does about Christ, I go here, right here. In the New Testament, the verb filled is used of filling the sails of a ship to bore it along. It's used of saturating meat with spices or salt to preserve it. It's used of, oh, the idea of being controlled by fear, like filled with fear. So in Ephesians 5.18, this filled with the Spirit is to be moved along, saturated and controlled by the Spirit of God. This is where it gets sweet and a little geeky. The verb be filled is a non-optional command imperative. We all are to be filled with the Spirit. It's plural, be filled meaning that's all for all of us. It's a command, and it's present tense, which means it's for believers all the time, 24-7. If you're not filled with the Spirit, then you are in the what? Flesh. But what really makes it awesome, be filled is passive. Active as you do it, passive it's done to you. Now, the runaway stagecoach driver says, whoa, because the Bible majors get it here, but every one of you has been given a non-optional command here. 
you can't do this. It has to be done to you. You've been given a non-optional command that you can't do. It must be done to you. How do you like that? God gives you a command. It has to be done to you. That makes perfect sense to me. You're not sovereign. God is. You're not in charge. God is. You don't sanctify yourself. God does. You would not be his child had he not acted on your behalf, and you cannot become like Christ unless he acts on your behalf. You must want to be filled and put yourself in a place to receive being filled. Passive voice means you actively, intentionally, as the professor was sharing uh, just earlier in the video, intentionally, aggressively yield to the Spirit of God. The baseball team understands this. If I say to my baseball glove, play baseball, nothing happens. It just sits there. But if I put my hand in the glove, I can play right field, maybe. But you're the glove. But you must yield to the person of the Spirit in you, the hand, in order to live for Christ. The, the Spirit must live for Christ through you. In order for you to love, the Spirit of God must love through you. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 8, verse 9. As you continue studying filled or be filled with the Spirit further, you find that filled involves being saturated with the Word of God, responding to the Word of God. The parallel passage to Ephesians 5.18 is Colossians 3.16, which is let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. It is according to the Word of God. We step out in faith and dependence upon the Word of God, and so it is correlated with this idea of filled. It's also confessing all known sin. The Spirit of God can be grieved within you, Ephesians 4.30. Uh, the Spirit of God can be quenched, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. You put the fire out of the Spirit. So we need to deal with the sin in our lives, confess to repent. It, it's accelerated, filled when you're serving others and sharing the gospel. But be being kept filled is always involving, moment by moment, living in dependence upon the indwelling Holy Spirit. It's walking through life like my boys used to when they were two years old. I would go for a walk with them, and they would automatically, what, put their hand up. And they would walk with me, and they were not very good at walking, and so they would stumble. But when they stumbled, I was always there to catch them, because they were dependent. And when the road got really rough, what would I do? I called them over the roughness, and they just hung there. But there's in a sense in the heart of a believer that everything you do constantly throughout every life, Lord, I can't do this. I'm depending on you, but I'm stepping out in obedience. Understand, and we'll get to this in a second. You know your theology. Every genuine Christian in this room is indwelt with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is third person of the Trinity. He's a person. And as a person, he doesn't come in doses and parts and portions. The Bible teaches in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, look at it, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. All genuine believers have the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling them. There's a big difference, though, between being indwelt with the Spirit and filled with the Spirit. Indwelling is you have all of the Spirit. Filled is the Spirit has all of you. Get it? Indwelling is you have all of the Spirit. 
filled as the Spirit has all of you. Indwelling is permanent the moment you're saved. Filling is temporary as you actively depend upon the Spirit while intentionally living in obedience to the Word of God. You're hanging on and you're stepping out. Don't be fooled by a false sanctification. As you seek to be filled with the Spirit, you're engaged. Make no mistake. You're wrestling. You're running to win. You're putting to death the deeds of the flesh. You're dying daily. You're denying self. You're stepping out into obedience as you depend on the Spirit. Dependent obedience. The Christian life is not a passive let God and let go and let go and let God. Nor is it grinding out your own obedience and your own strength in a solo self-will effort. It is dependence on the Spirit of God with engaging your will in an act of obedience to the Word of God. It's not do this, do this, do this, do this. It's D period, O period. It's depend and obey. You depend by faith. You engage your will to step out in obedience to the word of God. You depend and obey. You cooperate with the spirit of God in your sanctification by depending and obeying. Turn back, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Now we're getting there. We're getting close. Don't miss this, though. As you live moment by moment filled in dependent obedience to the spirit of God, you will find yourself developing a walk. It's that moment by moment, Lord, I can't do this, I'm depending on you, I'm walking in obedience. You do that throughout the day, you begin to develop a lifestyle or a walk in the spirit. The continual moment by moment filling develops a walk. And when you walk by the spirit, you overcome the flesh. Look at Galatians 5.22, look at it. But, see that word, but? The fruit of the Spirit is love. He just talked about living in the flesh, the deeds of the flesh. You wanna stop living in the flesh? Walk by the Spirit. Don't spend your whole life running around trying to put out the fires of sin in your life. Go after Christ. As you pursue him, you'll find yourself less enamored with the flesh. In contrast to the flesh, he says, but... Live, walk by the Spirit of God. Spurgeon said, the worst enemy we have is the flesh. Augustine prayed, Lord, deliver me from that evil man, myself. The Spurgeon also says, our best friend who loves us better than we love ourselves is the Holy Spirit. And as you walk in the Spirit, dependent on the Spirit of God, stepping out in obedience to the Word of God that you're saturated in, he will manifest his fruit through your life so you'll grow to become more like Christ, more loving. Leads us to number four, all genuine Christians are lovingly fruitful. Lovingly fruitful. Galatians 5.22, as you walk in the Spirit, the Spirit shows himself through you in obvious ways, such as verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. That was all introduction. Here we get the phrase to the day, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Paul always chose images very carefully. And he just talked about the plural acts of the flesh in verses 19, 20, and 21, but now contrast those plural actions of the flesh with the singular reference to fruit. 
pointing to the world of agriculture, I, biblically, fruit is Christ through you in action, Christ through you in attitude, Christ through you in speech. And Paul, I believe, is describing two encouraging truths here. First, in your outline, a genuine Christian's growth is in love is gradual. It's gradual. Fruit grows gradually, right? Like a turnip in the ground or an apple on the tree, you see the little bud of the flower and then the little tiny apple and then it grows a little bit bigger and, and then it finally grows into this big apple. Spiritual growth takes time. One of the most encouraging things to me when I was a brand new baby Christian at 18 years of age is when some older mature Christians came to me and said, growing up and maturing in Christ takes time. Spiritual growth takes time. Becoming like Christ takes time. Students, no one becomes a godly man or a godly woman in a day. But as you daily depend on the Spirit of God while intentionally stepping out in obedience to the Word of God, you will grow to become more like Christ. You'll develop a walk in the Spirit. Secondly, a genuine Christian's growth in love is symmetrical. Symmetrical, S-Y, well, ask an English major if you wouldn't. <laughs> Paul deliberately used the singular fruit here. Not fruits, plural, of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. And he's describing a whole list of actions and attitudes that grow in the life of the Spirit-filled believer together. This is pointing a crucial truth about fruit. This is, this is on the final exam, get this. The fruit of the Spirit always grows up together. They are one. Jonathan Edwards said of this here, there is a concatenation of the graces of Christianity, meaning you don't get one part of the fruit of the Spirit growing without all the other parts growing. Uh, fruit is a package. It's, fruit is Christ through you, and <laughs> you don't have parts of Christ growing through you. You have Christ through you. Now, you may be naturally strong with one fruit here in this list over another. You here this morning may be completely unlike me. You may be temperamentally gentle. You're not bombastic. You're not loud. You're not brash like Chris Vociferous Mueller. No, you're here this morning and you're, you're gentle. You're, you're quiet, you're reserved, you're nice. But often, that's not due to the spirit of God showing fruit, it's merely a demonstration of a shy temperament. Some people think speaking in a whisper is humility. When whispering could be the need for speech therapy and laryngitis, you know? saying you may love meeting new people you seem full of joy but that can often mean you're just the wild extrovert you know the guy at the basketball game that makes it really fun being there you may seem unflappable and unbothered and almost peaceful but the reality is you're so uncaring you come off peaceful See, Paul, by calling the fruit of the Spirit singular, all the fruit grows together as one, not merely one at a time. You may have natural strengths. This fruit is supernatural. 
And if you're gonna grow true spirit-filled love, it will always be accompanied by, verse 22, joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The, the fruit grows together. And when it's true fruit of the spirit, it's all the fruit, not merely your natural strengths or temperament. It's all a package deal. It's all the fruit. All genuine Christians are lovingly fruitful and the fruit that you will always see in the life of an authentic, born-again Christian is love. It's love. Number five, all genuine Christians will radically love. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Verses 19 to 21 told you in your own strength you'll live out the actions of the flesh but in the person and in the power of the Spirit of God, you will live out his fruit and a part of the package of the Holy Spirit living through us will be love. So let's look at that. Christ-like love, first in your outline, true love is unique to Christianity. Biblical love, unique to Christianity. The Greek word love in verse 22, obviously, I think you know this is agape, and agape is one of the rarest words in the ancient Greek literature. It's not found everywhere. It's very rare. But agape is one of the most common words in the New Testament. And unlike our English word love, agape never refers to romantic or sexual love. That's eros, which is not even in the New Testament. Nor does agape refer to sentimental or friendship or brotherly love. That's phileo. But the greatest descriptions of love in the New Testament are always about our God. Read aloud with me again. Let's do it together. 1 John 4, 7, and 8. Let's read it together. Here we go. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, and the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's nature is love. And yet the Lord even expands this further, and this is found all throughout the New Testament especially in the Gospel of John. One reference I have, John 15, 9, Jesus says this, look at it. Just as the Father has loved me, I also loved you and abide in my love. Wow. Before time existed, before there was a universe, before there was an earth, before there was you, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit were loving each other. Love is eternal. Biblical love is eternal. And in eternity future, the pure, intense, divine love between the Father, Son, and Spirit will continue. The Father, Son, and Spirit love each other. They love, we love, because they have loved and will love forever. It is God's nature to love. You know, no person in the Trinity ever, ever thought at any time what's in it for me. They celebrated a perfect oneness, three persons loving each other. And it is that same agape Christ loved you with. 
And it's the agape that you abide in and agape that you are to demonstrate to others. What does agape look like? Secondly, in your outline, true love looks most like Christ. True love looks most like Christ. Agape is on display during the Lord's earthly ministry as he gave himself. If you study the gospel, you'll see him serving and serving and serving and serving. When he needed to sleep, when he needed to rest, when he needed to eat, he continued to minister. Agape is seen when Jesus took off his outer garments and washed the disciples' feet when the disciples were only thinking of themselves and they are currently arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. And Christ was not emotionally attracted to his men at that moment. At, at his most, in a sense, transparent moment, they're thinking about themselves. And yet Christ serves them. He washed their feet. I've often thought of myself, what would I do in that situation if I were him? When I got to Judas and grabbed his foot, it would have been, <clears throat> that would have been me. Not Christ. He served his men. He demonstrated God's love. Agape is seen in the agony of the garden when every aspect of Christ's soul cried out against bearing sin, against suffering God's eternal wrath for our sin, experiencing some form of separation from the Father, and yet Christ chose to do God's will over his own will. Your will be done. His will over his own emotions, God's will over his own desires, that's agape. This is radical stuff. Agape is seen clearest in Christ dying for us. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Agape is an action that demands something from us. It's a love that is more concerned with giving than receiving. Agape is rare today because agape is not natural. It is not romantic or, or the result of emotions or it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just come from human nature. Agape love is Christ's character through you manifested in compassionate sacrifice and selfless service for the benefit of another. Thirdly, true love starts with being loved and you might want to add there by Christ it starts with being loved by Christ, knowing Christ in the new birth. Then depending on his spirit allows us to know of his great love for us, his person, his sacrifice, his life, the source of our ability to freely love others. You see these verses. 1 John 4.10, look at it. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4.19, we love because he what? First loved us. Those who know Christ, walk with Christ, study his word, commune with him in prayer, remember his sacrifice on the cross are those who know they're loved by Christ. And those who know they're loved by Christ are freer and more able to love others. Luke 7, 47 offers a similar truth. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. And this insightful phrase, but he who is forgiven little loves what? Little. When you're forgiven much by Christ, you love Christ and others much more. And true love requires choices. Fourthly, true love requires choices. Don't wait to feel love. 
you choose to love. You are dependent on the Spirit of God, but you exercise your will in sanctification and you choose dependently to obey, to choose to express love. Who? That weird guy in your dorm. That obnoxious basketball player. The cute gal who makes you jealous. And the guy at work who never returned your Xbox. And don't pray for more love from God. Don't pray for what you already have. John read this last night, Romans 5, 5. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. We don't have to manufacture love. We only have to express the love we've already been given. And this life fire loving is to be continual. It's to be ongoing. It's to be moment by moment, 24-7. If you're in the spirit and not in the flesh, you will produce the fruit of love. Christ never stops loving his children, ever. Christ doesn't just love you on your birthday, on your good days, on your best day. Love is not a date night, a Valentine's Day, birthdays, Christmas, anniversaries. Biblical love comes from being filled with the spirit every single day. Gals, ladies, wait for the guy who loves Christ more than you. Wait for that guy who loves Christ and others every day, not merely on special days. So I want to marry a man who loves God. Then look for it. Wait for it. If you're not loving then you're not in the spirit. When you're not loving, it wasn't a marginal day, it was a day in the flesh. The fruit of the spirit is love. And as you're filled with the spirit, you develop a walk by the spirit, which then means your love for Christ and others will grow. Love will mature, love will deepen. Paul prays that the love of the Philippians would mature in Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. As you continue to walk in the spirit, your love will grow according to knowledge, which is according to the truth, the truth of the word of God. You will be more in harmony with the word of God and discernment, which is wisdom, doing what's best. Doing what's right. Plus, as you're filled with the Spirit, your love will increase and abound. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, look at it. May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. You desperately need, moment by moment, to depend on the Spirit. But Christian, do not wait for a feeling. That's the lie of our culture. Do not wait for a feeling. Don't Delay because it seems weird. Don't make excuses. Do not wait until it's cool to love. You must obediently choose to dependently love. It's intentional. Exercise your will in dependence on the Spirit of God. And as you do over time, fifthly, true love will radically change you. Radically change you. I became a pastor at Grace Community Church when I was 22 years old. That's scary. And I am not the same person today that I was then. 
What do I mean? I have a friend named Phil Manley, and he's a hospital chaplain, and he cares for the sick and the injured. And Phil has so much love and mercy that you see Christ caring for those patients through Phil. You see it. Even patients in great pain are always so encouraged after Phil has been with them. When I was 22, and I went to the hospital to visit the sick and injured, when I left, they literally wanted to die. I was not gifted with a lot of mercy. But now, after having walked with Christ for 41 years, Christ has changed me. Not long ago, I, I brought lunch to a Christian man every two weeks as he was dying from a brain tumor. And we prayed together, and we talked about Subway sandwiches and in and out which is what I brought. But we talked about Christ. We talked about heaven. We talked about eternity. We studied the scripture together. After six months, right before he died, it had meant so much to him that I had come every two weeks. He, he openly wept and thanked me. I didn't know what to say. But I realized the power of God's love through a weak but willing vessel. I'll be really honest with you. I did never, ever once, every two weeks, felt like going. I didn't even know him personally. He became my friend through that season. But I believe that Christ wanted me to love him home. Some of you are like me. You need to face the reality that for you to love well, you've, you've got to make some changes. And it may mean that you turn to Christ in salvation. It may mean depending on the Spirit of God. And it may mean that there are aspects of your personality that need to be radically crushed in order for you to love well. You've all seen it. I do this all the time at my church. There's, there'll be a man there, and he'll be holding his young son. And I'll come up and say something to the son, and the son or the daughter will bury their head in their father's shoulder in shyness. And what will this good father do? He will say, no, 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 Rupert. <laughs> Look at Pastor Mueller and say hello. Not because he's controlling, not because he's cruel. From the very get-go, he's trying to teach his boy to deny his natural inclinations, his weak bents, in order to be considerate and to be loving. You're that little kid being held by your heavenly father. And he's saying, no, don't, don't bury your head in your gruffness, your coolness. You choose to love. You deny yourself, and you show my love. And that will come as you turn to Christ and salvation, as you walk being filled with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit will be manifest in your life, and the first of that will be love. Let's pray together, shall we?
Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the incredible grace that you have extended to us. It's overwhelming to think that before the foundation of the world that we were chosen. And then in this life called and awakened, we would have not run to you. We would have never done anything but run away and defy you except that you had crushed us and awakened us and given us the ability to respond to you. Thank you for that grace. And thank you for your spirit who indwells us. We pray that we might depend upon him as we exercise our wills and obedience to step out and to choose to demonstrate your character to our friends, to the people in our classroom, to the people that we meet at work, to our parents. Father, that we would be known for those who choose to love. And we pray that you would be glorified, that you would work in our lives in such a way to bring yourself glory as a result of your word. And we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.